Curiosity is not a sin, Harry, but you should exercise caution. He's a time strand. You're fraternizing with the enemy. There's the, um, the Cruciatus curse. We'll celebrate a boy who was kind and honest and brave and true right to the very end. Hey everyone, welcome to Hogwarts, a podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Hogwarts, a podcast. We're doing chapter 27, Padfoot Returns. Julie is back with us. Hi everybody, I am so excited to be back for this chapter. This is a chapter you specifically requested. I have been asking, just to give everyone a little bit of backstory, I have been asking Dan to be the guest on this chapter since like... Book Two? two maybe i'm yeah. pretty sure book two is when i asked like specifically for this chapter and i'm pretty sure that if i was not the guest on this episode it may have ruined our friendship that <laughs> has been going on for over a decade so that's, that's factual that is factual <laughs> i am very excited to be here we'll get into specifically why a little later on but there is a specific reason for that uh anyway so what ha- i'll give a brief little rundown here like usual uh we start off with ron getting some shine we talk about harry potter's secret heartache according to rita skeeter we talk potions i ha- we have a whole conversation on potions that we're going to get into because mm-hmm. uh, we get a scene with snape uh we have and we have a whole scene with a certain godfather that I won't mention until later because someone might get too excited. <laughs> so uh, let's talk about Ron getting some shine because he so very rarely does. And since he was one of the, I don't want to say participants, one of the captives, however hostages. you want to, hostages, hostages, one of the hostages used uh, in the second task, which Julie and I loved so very much. I go back to our <laughs> chapter from last week. Uh, but anyway, he was a hostage, so he got some shine and was like, oh, like tell us the story of how this all happened. Mm-hmm. And whenever he's around Hermione, or when he first started telling a story, it was more accurate. And then he started to not be as accurate. I enjoy the idea of a dozen mer people coming to kidnap him in the middle of the night and him somehow <laughs> fighting them all off. I love the fact that there's probably actually people who like believed... That there was, like, this whole fight and struggle instead of just being, like, what? Right, I'm sure first years eat this up. Oh, yeah. Do you think he's sitting on, like, uh, a, a mantle of some sort or, like, put a chair on top of a table and is sitting there amongst his throne oh, talking I'm to first years? I'm picturing, like, an armchair in front of the fire with everyone, like, gathered around. Sitting down? Yeah. Story time with Ron? Yes. <laughs> but, like, sitting, like, you know, like a king on a throne. I get that. I can see that image. Yep. And then Hermione just shuts it down very quickly. Yes. Um, but she herself is a little perturbed because she's been getting a lot of attention for being Victor's uh, person of interest. To be fair, um, and I'll ask you this question. For Cedric, Crum, and Fleur, I guess Fleur and Crum especially, but you have foreign visitors coming to a place. Mm-hmm. Crumb, Anna talked about a little bit, his background might be just, not as tragic as Harry's, but tragic, coming yeah. from a place that might have featured prominently in a pre-Wizarding War some years ago, and mm-hmm. uh, he, he might have some 
some dark magic left on his homeland that yeah. tragic. But anyway, so there might be people from back home that they actually care about that weren't traveling with them at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it stands to reason, like, Crumb, this girl that he likes, might be the only thing here. Like, so we're just going to use that and take it. Yeah, but, I mean, all of these tasks were planned out so far in advance that I would think that they would be able to find someone. Someone from, like, back home if they really, like, cared yeah, for him? Yeah, like, or if it just Is that into... why Flora's sister is there, do you think? That would be my guess. I think Flora's sister, because they say, I think they say she's only, like, seven or eight, so she wouldn't be in school. Correct. Um, which means that they would have had to bring her, and it seems like they don't really allow outside guests to view Do they allow until... family? To view um, the Triwizard? Because I imagine well, Cedric's dad would be at every single event. But I'm sure if that was the case, we would hear about it. And so I would think that they called her in. And this, again, like kind of loops back to the... So what was the process for all of our hostages? Like, they were brought into a room, and they talk a little bit about how, like... Dumbledore, like, explained to them that they would be, like, asleep the whole time, that Mm -hmm. they wouldn't be hurt. But, like, where's the consent form? You are still being tied to a statue at the bottom of the lake. And, like, don't get me wrong, Dumbledore's putting this charm on you. It's relatively safe. You would think. You would think. (laughs) But you're still tied to the bottom of the lake. It's like an induced sleep of some sort, right? Yeah. Like, I'm sorry, that's a big nope for me. I am not being tied to anything at the bottom of a lake. I don't do wide open spaces. I don't do deep water. This is a big nope for me. This is your, this is like, we talked about what your uh, boggart might be. Yeah. This. Yeah, <laughs> this, this might be your boggart. This might be it. <laughs> but, like, I, I, I just don't understand. And they're all minors. Like, shouldn't there be some parental consent form saying, like, hey, is it cool that we tie up your kid in the bottom of a lake? And, you know, don't worry. There's magical protection on them so they hopefully don't drown. Yeah, well, that was the other bit about Dumbledore's magic. It's a magically induced sleep. But also, he's got to ensure that they're still able to breathe underwater. Mm Because they talk about little, like, bubbles coming up from them. And making sure that, like, that doesn't wear off. Right. Yeah, you gave them a 60-minute, like, very ambitious, like, time period. (laughs) Right. But, like, thankfully, most of them, like, made it there in the time frame. Like, Harry was just an idiot and stayed down right. there with a hero complex. But what happens if none of them got there on time? And you're like, oh, don't worry. They'll get there within 70 minutes. And then all of a sudden, it's two hours and no one's there. Yeah. You're putting a lot of faith into your champions. And I, and I understand that. If you're Dumbledore, I mean, I would imagine it's no secret that Cedric's your best student. And if you're Karkaroff, you know that Crumb is an international Quidditch player. He's probably got a pretty good odds of being able to get through. So you got two of the four that you know could probably get through this. Yeah, and a seeker so he can find things. Yeah, and I'm sure, you know, Floor's got her own accolades, yeah. you know, at, at Bobaton. Yeah. Um, so I'm sure they're fairly confident in their true champions to be like, no, they can do this. But, you know, then there's Harry. But, um, but still... We're now putting eight people at risk instead of the four champions that are in some magical binding contract. You're now adding four more into the mix. Well, we we talked a little bit uh, hilariously, and I still love this. It's maybe one of my favorite thoughts that have come up 
is Molly Weasley sending a howler to Dumbledore. God. Nothing would make me happier than to like see that play out. Once again, if Warner Brothers or if some rumors have happened where, uh, I don't know if you've heard this rumor or not, but the rumor that Disney might want to try to buy oh, the rights yes, from, from JK, which would I would love for a lot of reasons. But anyway... Either way, Warner Brothers, Disney, give me the rights to produce this series, and so help me, Just I, scene. I promise, scene. I, <laughs> I promise the Harry Potter fandom, I will put a Molly Weasley howler to Dumbledore in the next movie. But I definitely think that that howler would be like her, like ripping Dumbledore a new one, and then at the end, her apologizing because it's Dumbledore that she's yelling at. Probably, yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, so. We get, in the next part of this, we get Harry uh, going to Snape's classroom, and the Slytherins are all huddled together giggling, which you know is not good for Harry. And we've come to find out that Rita Skeeter has written an article for a magazine, and the title of the article is Harry Potter's Secret Heartache. And in this, it essentially plays Hermione to be quite the... Little harlot? Yeah. That's a good word. I like that yeah. word. I was going to go siren, but yeah, harlot's a good word. So, and essentially playing both Harry Potter and Crumb for love interest to obviously very famous people. Mm-hmm. And um, I do, I, I, I must admit, I do like the Slytherin quotes in these articles. They're hilarious. Yes. Uh, I would hate them if I was in world. They'd be ridiculous. Also just terrible. I mean, she's like... Like, you're really going to quote a kid saying, like, she's ugly. Like She's really? ugly, but she can definitely make a love potion. <laughs> just a weird... Is that really adding credibility to your article? It just, just kind of makes me think about, like, when I was in, like, junior high and on, like, the junior high newspaper, and it would be, like, we'd do articles about, like, what's your favorite Halloween candy? And it would always be like, it was hard-hitting journalism, and you're asking like a kindergartner what their favorite Halloween candy is. And you're like mentally like, I am the greatest journalist ever because this six-year-old told me that their favorite Halloween candy is Skittles. Like, that's what (laughs) this is right now. (laughs) A hundred percent. I did take note that uh, Ron, obviously, who uh, cautioned against provoking Rita Skeeter, it's like, well, now you're known as, like, a scarlet woman. And I'm like, that's an interesting pull from Ron. Does he have any familiarity with, like, the Scarlet Letter as the book? Or, like, Red Light Districts? Or Scarlet I Women? I thoughts. So, okay. I do think Red Light Districts, I would assume that he has knowledge of. Because, like... His brothers. No, I just... <laughs> <laughs> I do, but, like... The Wizarding World still knows about the Muggle World, and, like, yeah, they're, like, weird about some things, but, like, I find it really hard to believe there's not some type of red light district. I just feel like that's something that would still exist in the Wizarding World. Like, See, maybe not specifically in these books, because we have to remember they are technically, hey, like, You don't know what's books, going on in Nocturne Alley, I'm just saying. I, exactly! <laughs> um, that's exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> so I do think there would be some knowledge of whether it was... They exist, and a thousand percent if they exist in the Wizarding World, you know that Molly Weasley has, like, said some reprimanding comments about, like, some neighbor or something that went to a red light district. Molly Weasley? No, never. (laughs) But, like, I... 
I don't know if he knows about the Scarlet Letter. I would just love Arthur Weasley, like, going by a red light district and goes, why, why is it red? Like, what makes it red? And then just asking a bunch of, like, really odd questions that have nothing to do with what's actually going on around him, but that's fine. Arthur Weasley in Amsterdam. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, like, um, I don't know about knowing like the about Scarlet, the Scarlet Letter. Letter. Yeah. Mainly because, like, where do wizards learn, like, normal things? Where do they learn how to read or do math? So, like, I mean, when you think about it, they're going into, uh, like, they're 11 when they start Hogwarts. You're not reading the Scarlet Letter. Do you think they also have issues in schooling where instead of learning about, like, mortgages to buy a wizarding house and how many nuts and sickles <laughs> and galleons it would cost? No, it doesn't matter because they have magic. They can fix all their problems. You shouldn't have any problems. They build their own world. house with magic? Yeah, why So not? no no magic mortgages then. I don't I mean probably What a for world the land. to live in. No, you'd probably need a mortgage for the land, but like for the house, I mean look at the borough. They just kinda kept like adding on. Adding yeah. on. But like I just don't think they not that like we learn real life things. Like I don't need to know Pythagorean theorem in everyday life. But I'm sure somebody does, so sorry if, <laughs> if someone does. But, like, but it's not like they have a, you know, reading class or basic math at Hogwarts. So, like, what are these 11-year-olds doing? Like, are they in, they can't be in muggle schools because none of them really know about muggles. So, like. So, I, I would imagine it would be a homeschooling <clears throat> thing. And that kind of gets into a, a wider discussion that we've had about, like, how many wizards are there really and how many schools are there really some might because not every magical student in the united kingdom and ireland can go to just hogwarts because right there should be more the two answers to that are nope this is it and there really just aren't that many witches and wizards out there in the world which would make it easier for them to hide correct or two they get homeschooled other places yeah smaller schools what have you that aren't as large as like a Durmstrang or Hogwarts or Bobaton, but but anyway, we get a little information from Hermione again on um, on Victor because Victor is quoted per se ish on saying that uh, he's never met a girl like Hermione, mm -hmm. and Hermione pretty much sloughs off this whole article as like ah whatever it's just Rita Skeeter she could do better yeah. That being said, she does go, how does she know he said that? And then Ron's like, what? <laughs> and Hermione's like, yeah, he, he said that to me. And he does want me to go visit him in Bulgaria this summer. Um, and Ron gets so mad. And Ron gets a little jealous. Mm -hmm. uh, clearly. Clearly he's not uh, on board with this line of thinking. So they have kind of a conversation about the article. Uh, but then... They're having, by the way, this entire discussion in Snape's class as he's going over potions. Again, why do they always have these conversations in the middle of class where everyone can hear them? Now, this one wasn't as, like... Scandalous. Scandalous and private as the one that they had in Charms class. But, like, guys, I get it. You're talking during class. But, like, y'all live at school. You have other times to talk right. about this. Right, uh, So, before we get into the uh, Snape part of this chapter... They are learning about wit sharpening potions in this class. And I just had the thought, like, wit sharpening seems kind of useful. Like, that seems like a useful potential potion. Mm -hmm. A, shouldn't they be using these more often? 
Two, are there any side effects to as to why you wouldn't be using these? And I do have a spoiler comment on that. But still, like a wit sharpening potion can seem useful at times. Yeah, well, and you think especially like at school, like you're going into like finals, like take a wit sharpening potion. Like if you're talking purely at school, but like, my thoughts are, is there has to be some type of restrictions on practicing potions. Well, we never, so we never, ever, we hear of people practicing charms or curses or spells of some mm-hmm. sort. We almost never hear of people practicing potions. Well, and even the potions homework isn't like make a potion. It's like talk about the effects. It's like writing like essays about potions. Right. Um, and so my thought is, is like, since with potions, like not only could something be poisonous, it could burn something, it could blow up, like, and I mean, I get that a lot of that can happen with like charms or transfigurations too, but I would have to think that there has to be some type of limit or are some of these supplies for these potions not the standard supplies that you buy at the beginning of the school year, they're part of the potions classroom so in order to practice it right. you have to be in the potions room with supervision well I, so to that point does that then limit what potions snape can even teach do they have to be done within like a five-day span or at least the ingredient portion because some i know like if you went on wizarding world back in the day and did like the potter more mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. like yep. whatever go through the books and they had you brew potions, and you had to, like, stir it three times, then wait 15 minutes, and then stir three times the other dirt. Like, what happens on a weekend if that... Po- Does Snape just do it for everybody? I can't imagine he would. No, but my, like, my assumption would be is, like, his lesson planning is, like, based around that. That's like, a hard... That's yeah. a hard lesson plan to write when you have to be so very specific about it. So, like, my guess is is that it's that, or if there's things where there's ways to, like, shortcut it. Like, maybe Snape does the first portion of the potion that they all know how to do. And he gives that to them so that they don't have to wait until the next full moon. Right, exactly. Or whatever. Um, But my assumption is, is that, like, the reason that we're not seeing more wit-sharpening potions brewed for, like, help with, like, tests would be that there's some type of regulation because they're all technically breaking the laws anyway because they're using magic underage. So I would assume there's some type of restrictions that are saying, like, okay, you can only do this. And with potions, like, you can only do potions in front of your potions master because... You know, the ingredients you have could also be used for a poison, or the ingredients you have could also be used for... Right. So you only get access to the actual potion or the ingredients in the time span of the class. Yeah. Gotcha. Because you don't hear about them, like, like they all have to have a cauldron, but, like, you never hear about them lugging their cauldron to yeah. potions. I guess we kind of talked about, you know, Gillyweed being, like, a uh, cheat code, yeah. in a way. And I guess doing that or having those restrictions would limit a lot of quote-unquote cheat codes that you can have with potions, too. Fair enough. Uh, So Snape does uh, eventually break up this 
chat session that they have going on regarding the article and he breaks them up and he sends Ron to a different table and Hermione stays at the table or whatever. They send him to three different tables. Yeah. Harry gets the one right in front of Snape's desk. Snape's not an idiot. He puts him there for a reason. So uh, he essentially accuses Harry under his breath as people are uh, getting back to their potions. He accuses Harry of breaking into his office the other night when he heard all of that noise. He accuses Harry of stealing boomslang skin and gillyweed. And so obviously we had just had gillyweed, boomslang skin we had in book two mm -hmm. as an ingredient to a certain potion. So it's an interesting little note that he drops there mm -hmm. as to what else was taken from his office. Uh, and he threatens uh, this clear vial uh, that he took out of his pocket. Harry thinks he's going to curse him. Like... Yeah, a potions I, master is going to curse you. In class, like, come yeah. on. Uh, come on, Harry. Uh, but he takes out this Veritaserum potion, and Veritaserum he describes as a truth-telling potion. He also says that it's uh, strictly regulated and is only used in very specific circumstances because it's a very powerful truth-telling potion, and it works. Mm -hmm. I have lots of thoughts on this whole situation. Spoiler or not? Um, both. But okay. I'll be going non-spoilers since that's where we're at right now. But um, when Snape is accusing Harry of stealing potion ingredients and he's like threatening him and all this, like straight up man is all talk because the gillyweed, it is so easy to be like, no one else finds it suspicious that one is missing from my oh, I personal am, story. I am sure he went straight to Albus and was like, um, like, problem. <laughs> like, And so, like, to me, it feels very, like, you know, you are threatening him as, like, a little power play because we already know that, like, he hates Harry because of James. Yep. And, like, Harry stealing these things is something that James would do. And so it's reminding him of James. Mm -hmm. And he's literally, like, trying to get his revenge on James by pulling his little power play and sure. saying, look at what I can... I know you did this, and I'm gonna, like, take you down for it. But, like, he's all talk, because he could have already did it. I have a response to that, but it is spoilery. Okay. <laughs> um, but then, so as far as the Veritaserum, like, why does he have that? Because he says it's highly regulated. Mm -hmm. And so I get it that, like, he's a very good potions master and could probably brew it himself, I would assume. Yep. Um, but if it's so strictly regulated, why would they be like, yeah, of course a random professor at Hogwarts can just have a bottle on him? Yeah, well, so with that, I'm assuming, and it goes a little bit back to, we're dealing with, First, second, third, and fourth year Harry so far. Veritaserum, I'm assuming, is a potion that he'd have to at least mention in upper level, like, classes yeah. for upper level students. So I'm sure he has, like, samples just for that. Is like, this is what you need to replicate or whatever if you're going to make it. I'm sure he has those kind of samples. So would they even make it in the class? Maybe, maybe, With maybe how... not. So, like, I don't even know why you would need, like... A sample, because you could just say that, like, you know, it's clear, it's odorless, it's tasteless. Sure. Um, without showing it. But also, how do you control a potion? Like, how would the ministry even know? 
Uh, I don't know if there is... Like, is there a way that, like, tracks when all of the ingredients come together? Because if that's the case, like... Yeah, I, I don't know... The trio would have been called out on their polyjuice potion a while ago, so... They were called out on it. No one listened. <laughs> well... <laughs> Same called them out on that one, too. And, yeah. and, um, but, like, you know what I mean? If there's something like yeah. when a minor uses magic that, like, the ministry knows. Sure. Like, if there's something like that with potions, then, like... I imagine the ingredients are strictly regulated. Yeah. So there's notes if there's on... there's something specific. Like, boom, slang skin is a specific ingredient used in a very specific potion. So yeah. it's, like... I assume the ingredients are tracked. Just like in the real world, there are some things that are tracked That's when bought. What I was thinking too, like in like Illinois, like you have to scan your ID if you're getting like Sudafed or potting soil. Yes. And, yeah. Yeah. So there's, I'm, I'm assuming that's the way they do it. And then, you know, but in his case where he's the potions master of like the region's top school, yeah. you, you have leniency to be like, have either stores of it or, you know, you have the supplies to potentially make it True. so I, I feel like he gets a pass yeah i do like though that um when we get like into harry's head when he's thinking about like all of the things that could be revealed if like snape gave yeah. this potion that one of the things that harry brings up is that like his crush on Cho Chang. <laughs> Cho Chang could be revealed. And I was like, this right here is where you get that, like, reminder that, like... This is a 14-year-old child. This is a 14-year-old, <laughs> yeah. like, boy. Because I feel like, especially when you're reading these books as, like, an adult, sometimes you kind of forget that they're as young as they are. Like, 100%. <clears throat> we've, we've been very critical of Harry in a lot of different points in this podcast, not just last chapter. But... You do have to remember that they are young children that yeah. will do dumb stuff because goodness knows when you and I were 14, we were not exactly doing the greatest things and uh, well, yeah. saying um, stupid stuff and doing dumb stuff. It's because... true. And like, I think that part of it is also the writing. Like, The characters aren't written to be like an average 14-year-old, but I like when there's little glimpses of things like this where it's like, oh, hold on. Of all the secrets you're harboring right now, you're worried that Snape is going to find out your crush? Hey, you know, Julie, we've been friends long enough where I remember <laughs> high school Julie. Oh, God. I no, do. Yeah, we're not talking about this right now. Let's keep going. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Moving on to Karkaroff interrupting class. And I, I just want to say, like, we'll talk a lot about the Karkaroff Snape interaction, probably a little bit more in spoilers, because there's a little bit more to talk to there, but it's obviously very heated. Karkaroff doesn't trust Snape, so he literally waits there the entire rest of class. Smart. It's smart, but it's also like you are clearly off kilter when you're entering a teacher's class to pin them down. Like, something is really wrong with you. Mm -hmm. And even though the kids are kids, they're not that dumb. They're like, something is clearly weird. Yeah. And Harry, especially since you're not really hiding it, it's not like you come in and say like, "Hey, I need to talk to you," and Snape's like, um, "Hello, busy," and he goes, "Okay, well, I'll just wait here so that we can talk." Except more rushed, more anxiety driven, and more like aggressive, really. Just and more, more like, yeah. I think you're going to try to get out of this conversation, so that's why I'm staying here instead of the like, 
oh, well, I'm not going to walk all the way back to where I'm staying and then walk all the way mm-hmm. back over here. I'll just hang out and pay attention to your class. Yep. Harry, I, I will say this, figures out that this is an important conversation. And because he's already overheard them in the, the grounds at the Ewell Ball. He's already heard an interesting Snape Moody back and forth. So he's kind of got an ear towards this, as he always does with Snape. But So he sticks around, hears what's going on, and then actually informs Ron and Hermione, like, hey, they had a really interesting interaction. Right away, too. I know. Here he's, doing, he's doing so well recently I of, like, know. actually informing people of, hey, Proud this was you, odd. Harry. Yeah, look at that. <laughs> so, but we'll get back to that conversation a little bit later. Uh, I like how uh, Sirius has given them a note saying, like, hey, meet me at this point in Hogsmeade. Because they were having a little back and forth about... Some of when his notes have been so risky, like knowing that like it's pretty easy to intercept an owl, and like the fact that you're sending Harry Potter a note that says like, "When's the next weekend?" Oh, okay, meet me at this spot at this time. Right. Like, if you intercepted it, you you could just be at that spot at that time and be yeah. like, "What's going on?" Yeah. Huh, how weird. But, like, there was no way to put, like, some type of code. I feel like that's my biggest issue with the correspondence between Harry and Sirius is, like, you're trying to keep him under wraps. You know that people could potentially intercept your owls. Like, you guys didn't figure out some type of, like, code system? They're getting there, Julie. They're getting there. I and let us. they are, but... We will get all about their secret code here at the... I at, know. Toward the end. And it's it's an interesting code. So they're out in Hogsmeade, and they decide to get a gift for Dobby, which I just want to point out that they get him socks that scream when they're too smelly. (laughs) Fascinating idea. Fascinating idea. Um, I'm glad that that's what the Wizarding World decided to do with their magical abilities. (laughs) Make socks that scream when smelly. (laughs) I was recently in and out. This is a side tangent, but I'm currently doing a D&D campaign with a couple of my friends. And I got a magical item recently. You want to know what this magical item does? Was it socks that scream when they're smelling? Close. (laughs) It's a ring that screams when you put it on. Just screams. (laughs) What is the point? Uh, I don't know, but I bought it just because. And I was like, you know what? I just need this. You You never know. Never know when I can use it. socks make sense to me. The ring doesn't, but keep me posted. What D and D is for? It's a lovely thing. Those who uh, play D and D, awesome. Give us a shout out on Twitter. Anyway, so they end up meeting with Sirius at that designated spot at that designated time, and he is in Animagus form uh, in his big black shaggy dog. And uh, I have a note here that he immediately sniffs Harry's legs. And there's two ways that you can go with this. I noted one, you noted the other. Mm-hmm. So obviously, he suggested that Harry bring food. Which, great suggestion from Sirius. Yeah. Awesome. I did, we both think that they could have brought more food, given the circumstances. I have so many issues with this. Because, like, the man is on the run. He asks you to sneak, like, to bring food. And all you bring are 12 pieces of chicken, a loaf of bread, <laughs> and a flask of pumpkin juice. There are three of you. Three of you could have carried backpacks that all had yep. that amount of food. Nope, I have... Also, you're teenagers. Don't you normally sneak food out of the cafeteria? 
And I mean, even so, you're like right by the three broomsticks. Just grab like a butterbeer for him or something, or like mm-hmm. to, you know, or something. you have the hookup with the house elves. Yeah, just get like a ton of free food from the house elves now. Yes, you have a how uh, you have a hookup with a specific house elf that loves you. Yeah, but you could so. easily say like, "Hey, can I have a giant platter?" Just because you know I'm hungry, and he'd be like, "Yeah, of course, dude. Here you go." Yep. Uh, no, they kind of shortchanged Sirius and Buckbeak here, yeah. but, you know, whatever. The other note that I had was, like, do you think there's any possibility that Sirius is sniffing Harry's leg just to make sure, for security purposes, that that is indeed Harry, in case the owl does get intercepted? I don't know. I feel like that's a little overly reading into it. I feel like it was more of the, like, he was smelling the food because, like, he is on the run and it's not like he can go into a story. Yeah, and you know, it's not like Sirius is as paranoid as, let's say, Moody. Yeah. He's also not an idiot, though. And before he, like, reveals himself to someone, he might want to just be like, you're who I think you are, right? But I don't know. Which, again, code words would help. Code words. (laughs) Bark twice. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Anyway, uh, so Sirius takes him up this long, winding, mountainous path uh, and ends up at this cave, which would be... How have we never heard about the mountains before? Yeah. Um, Something just appeared in year four. <laughs> right. Uh, I like it. I also like how in book three, this would be awfully, awfully off-putting for like this large black dog to be leading you and then there's a cave with a hippogriff in it. You're yeah. like, this is a little sketch, a little sketch. But anyway, um, he transforms into himself. He communicates that he's actually been living off rats mostly, which that's a harsh life. That, that's a hard life. There's a lot to Sirius here. And this is a big conversation. Uh, there's a couple of things that I wanted to point out. I think Harry should really start investing in the profit. And I'm stunned Hermione doesn't. I'm also surprised that the school doesn't have copies. Like, when you figure that it's essentially, like, a boarding school, like, wouldn't you think that the major news publications, that they'd have copies of it, like, in like, the library? Like right next to the Great Hall as you go in for the morning? Yeah, like they not should. necessarily like everyone hears your morning paper, but like even if it's they have four copies in the library so that you can keep up to date with like current events, because it's not like they have like cell phones or right. laptops to, or TVs to check the news. So like you'd think that they'd have something so that they could stay up to date on current information. Do you think there are copyright laws where you can't multiply a profit? Oh, I'm sure there are. Or some I mean, type of, like, charm on the profit so that you can't. Because if you, like, if you're Hogwarts and you want to get profit, like, enough, like, let's say, in a school this large, you might want to get, like, 20 daily profits yeah. or more that you stack out there. But instead of paying for each, like, daily profit, you just, like, magically multiply it. But that would probably be, against some wizarding law. My guess is there's some type of charm on it so that you can't do that. But, like, it seems weird to me that a school that, like, these kids are all living at that there's not some means for them to automatically get current events other than like their family sending them a letter and it's not like their family is going to be like the headline of the news today was right now let's get to what you really want to talk about is 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 serious and um this is the reason why she requested this chapter was this whole discussion which i will give you it's a good discussion. Mm-hmm. Serious. And I'm actually going to read two excerpts from his conversation that he has because mm-hmm. it's descriptive and it's really great. 
But lesser conversation, uh, they have about Barty. They have a lot of conversation about Barty Crouch. Yeah. Basically, their entire conversation centers around Barty Crouch. And I like this is a good example for serious. Uh, this is probably the best example you've seen so far of him being s- smart, mm-hmm. educated. I don't want to say suspicious. What's the word I'm looking for? Um, cautious. Cautious. He picks up on small details. Yeah. Uh, he also knows a lot of the people involved here. Mm-hmm. And I, I, so they're talking about, he, for example, small detail that he picks up on is Barty Crouch Sr. getting rid of his house elf. And he picks up on that. And he's like, well, that's odd. Yeah. And, well, like, well, and the whole situation. I think one of the things that I love about like this scene in this chapter is like you get a lot more of like an in-depth look at Sirius as a character and how his mind works because obviously you're introduced to him in book three but like book three when you're meeting him you're meeting him after he's been in Azkaban for 13 years and is finally getting freedom and getting his sanity back only kind of and even through most of this book like you don't get a lot of serious. Like, you get the quick letters, you get, like, the bit of time in the fireplace, but, like, this is where you actually, like, you get the full conversation, you kind of get to listen to how his mind is processing things and seeing, like, also, like, how he takes care of Harry as if he, I mean, like, he is his guardian, but, like, if he was actually able to take on that responsibility right. and actually, like, be there. And he's picking up on the things that, like, I think a lot of people would have tossed to the wayside. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah, it makes sense that, like, a high-ranking official, like, might not be able to watch the game or the match. Like, oh, yeah, well, I would get rid of my house elf, too, if... He personally blows up theories by Hermione, Ron, and Harry. Yes, like in this. He's like, like, no, no, that's ridiculous. Let's forget that. He treats them all as like equals, but also as like the children that they are. Because I feel like he calls them out on a lot of things that are like, guys, like you're being... Think think about it for a second. Does that make sense? You're being idiot teenagers. But then like he also sits there and goes like, no, you have a point here. You have a point here. But wait a minute. This is really weird. Like when he's talking about Winky, like most people, like, it's very easy to make excuses and say, like, oh, yeah, that all makes sense. And Sirius is like, hold on. Let's take a step back here. He has one specific quote that is one of my favorite quotes in the entire series. But I'll read the quote. Quote, if you want to know what a man's like, take a good look at how he treats his inferiors, not his equals. End quote. I think that's really poignant, Mm -hmm. Uh, and I think it's true. I think it's just objectively true. Yes. Um, And he does that in the sense of he's about to get on the story of Barty Crouch isn't all he's cracked up to be. He's, yes, because I think Harry questions like, oh, was he a Death Eater? And Sirius is like, no, 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 no. He was very outspoken against dark magic. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean he's a good person. Correct. 
And uh, and then he goes into a little bit about how he treated some Death Eaters and how he dispatched, because he was the head of magical law enforcement before mm-hmm. he's the head of international magical cooperation. So how he dispatched Ors during the first Wizarding War, before and after the first <laughs> Wizarding War, and, and how he controlled that. We talked about what I'm about to read here in regards to Peter Pettigrew. And... I think you mentioned it maybe in the last episode, too, about like, oh, Peter Pettigrew. No, we mentioned it between episodes. Mm-hmm. That's right. This is our pre-prep about how Peter Pettigrew is an animagus and, and a rat, which fits because he's a rat. We talked about Peter Pettigrew and the situation he was in and and the Potter family mm-hmm. and the, the Order of the Phoenix at that point in time. Yep. So I'll read you what the situation from Sirius's perspective was like. Quote, imagine that Voldemort's powerful now. You don't know who his supporters are. You don't know who's working for him and who isn't. You know he can control people so that they do terrible things without being able to stop themselves. You're scared for yourself and your family and your friends. Every week, news comes of more deaths, more disappearances, more torturing. The Ministry of Magic's in disarray. They don't know what to do. They're trying to keep everything hidden from the Muggles. But meanwhile, Muggles are dying too. Terror everywhere. Panic confusion that's how it used to be end quote that is a terrifying portrayal of what Mm -hmm. the first wizarding war is and it gives context to why you know anna and i talked about peter pettigrew being like yes he did terrible things but that time was horrifying yeah for everybody it's great writing from from well and what i appreciate about that description too and um like i made a note of this too is that when Sirius starts talking about that time, like, he says, um, but there are a lot of people who are against the dark side. Well, you wouldn't understand. You're too young. And that's when Ron says, like, that's what my dad said at the World Cup. Like, can you try to explain it to us? And, like, instead of Sirius treating them like children, like, I appreciate that Sirius always treats this trio as like adults because they're dealing with adult situations like we find out in later books that sometimes people have issues with that but I appreciate that Sirius treats them with the age of the responsibilities that they have not by their actual age yes yeah I took note of that too that's the first time that we can remember that someone's actually talked to them as though they were like part of this world and not just like Oh, you're, I think we, in the real world, we get a half, like kids don't know. Kids know. Kids more, kids know more about a lot of stuff that we don't ever think they do. Mm -hmm. They pick up on a lot of stuff that we don't ever think they do. Uh, I'm sure there's therapy sessions (laughs) full of it, (laughs) which, you know, we've talked about that time and time again. But I mean, think about even back in book one when they were telling McGonagall, like, you know, oh my god, all this stuff is happening. And she's like, what are you guys talking about? Like, you don't know what you're talking about. It's like, okay, like, girl, they literally just told you all of this stuff that they're not supposed to know, and you're still treating them like children when clearly, like, they know more. And so I appreciate that Sirius is, like, actually, like, you know what? You won't understand, but, like, let me kind of, like, give you a breakdown so that, like, you kind of get where everyone's coming from with this. Right. There's there's a lot... I actually really enjoyed reading about Sirius in this chapter. I, I think it's a really good read. 
uh, a lot of what he says. I still have one more quote that I want to talk about, but um, you know, he's he mentioned that Ors were given new powers during the first war. He also mentioned that Crouch's own son was caught with Death Eaters um, at the age of nineteen, and <laughs> had a really interesting experience in Azkaban, which I'm about to read uh, mm-hmm. the description of Azkaban, but he died only a year later. Yeah, but going back to like the new powers, I think it's also important to point out that the powers that they were given were to use the unforgivable curses that were banned from everyone, and now all of a sudden, like, nothing is off limits. And I think that's a very important thing to, like, point out about Barty Crouch Sr., is that his hatred, disgust, whatever you want to call it, with... Mania? (laughs) The dark arts, um, went so far that, like, there were no boundaries to stop it. If you need to do exactly what they're doing... Fire for fire, that line becomes very gray and very blurred. Yes. Um, And then, like, even when his own son is caught, it's, nope, fire with fire, done. So, um, Harry questions, like, wait, he gave his own son to the Dementors in Azkaban? And Sirius is like, that's right. And and here's the quote that he the, he mentions. I'm going to kind of jump from quote to quote here for a little bit. But he goes, quote, I saw the Dementors bringing him in. Watched them through the bars in my cell door. He can't have been more than 19. They took him into a cell near mine. He was screaming for his mother by nightfall. He went quiet a few after a few days, though. They all went quiet in the end except when they shrieked in their sleep. And then I'm skipping ahead a little bit. He wasn't the only one. Most go mad in there, and plenty stop eating in the end. They lose the will to live. You could always tell when a death was coming because the Dementors could sense it. They got excited. End quote. That's a horrifying description of a prison. Well, and not only is it a horrifying description, but imagine for Sirius having to, like, describe that again while he's trying to, like, his tone and manner changed yeah. while describing that because he survived it. But now it's like you almost like relive it because you're thinking about it and like you get those feelings again. And it, I just think it's so interesting that he essentially like becomes that person that you see at the end of book three. Yeah. While describing it. It's people can survive it, although they are changed forever from it mm-hmm. uh, for better or for worse. Um, so he does, after he gets through, uh, the, the Azkaban thing and Barty Crouch, uh, they do talk a little bit about Snape and, um, uh, Snape's history specifically, uh, since Karkaroff and Snape's interaction got brought up and Sirius does drop a little bit of Snape's background. He, he goes into <laughs> that he knew more curses at 11 than most seventh years. That, I mean, he can read, but... Oh, well, right, yeah. Again, how did he learn how to read? Sorry. <laughs> okay. I'm done, I promise. <laughs> uh, he was also friends with noted Death Eaters. Uh, friends with Rosier and Wilkes, who were both uh, killed by Orrs a year after Voldy fell. You have the Lestranges, who are a married couple, and they are both currently still in Azkaban. You have Avery, who was set free because he claimed he was imperious, uh, put under the imperious curse, uh, to do the will. So you get a little bit more of Snape's background there and mm-hmm. uh, schooling. Again, I will say that this is coming from Sirius, and Sirius did not like Snape in school. Slimy, uh, oily, greasy-haired kid he was. 
and that, yes, that's exactly my point. So you are getting a biased source. However, I will say some of this is pretty damning evidence against Snape. Yeah. But he ultimately comes to the conclusion of, well, there's no way Dumbledore would put what he believed to be a Death Eater in his own school. So that's the conclusion that Sirius comes to uh, in that conversation. Uh, he does mention, he does talk about Moody a little bit in that he mentions uh, Moody for as weird as he can be and as off-putting as he can be, he will give him that he's never killed if, he could, if it could be avoided. He's always tried to avoid killing even Death Eaters or even the worst of the worst. And he, serious, you get the impression, admires that about mm-hmm. Moody. As opposed to Barty Crouch, who would do... Who probably would have tried to fire him. <laughs> right. For, for not, you know, killing some of these guys. So um, that's an interesting note he says about Moody there. Uh, Sirius drops a lot of info. Yeah. Um, wrapping this up, because we're going long yet again on another non-spoiler. Uh, we do get that code that Julie was talking about. <laughs> we finally get it. Well, at least a piece Snuffles. of it. Snuffles. When you refer we to me. refer to Sirius as Snuffles, which of all the things to <laughs> Like, I get they both start with S, so maybe that's what he was going for, but, like, serious, like. Do you think they should, just, should have started every sentence with, like, seriously, and then go on? <laughs> seriously, comma. Like, of then... all the, like, dog names you could have come up with. What would you come up with? What you got? I, ooh, that one, I don't know. I don't have anything off the We've top of my head. We've come up with some creative but... names for things on this yeah. podcast. <laughs> but, like. You didn't even think of anything, like, more... I mean, maybe you're looking at it as a... So that it sounds like you're sending it to, like, your little cousin or... Sure. Yeah. I I mean, it doesn't fit serious, and maybe that's the point. Yeah. I love it, though. But... (laughs) Snuffles. It's still hilarious. Uh, When you're adopting your next dog, are you naming it Snuffles? Maybe. There you go. I love it. Um, if Molly uh, gets another black lab, she should name it Snuffles. Yes. Anyway. And, and then lastly, very quickly, uh, we do get some insight um, on Percy. Percy's brought up in this whole Barty Crouch business because he's the one taking over for Crouch at the ministry. Uh, and Ron, um, honestly, he kind of doubts Percy's family loyalty pretty directly. Same, Ron. Same. So he says that uh, Percy, when given the chance, would throw his family under the bus too, or throw them in Azkaban, if it meant that he could rise the the ladder, the corporate ladder, a little mm-hmm. bit longer. Uh, I'm paraphrasing Ron's actual words, but that's essentially what he says. Yeah, and I mean, we talked a little bit about this in the last episode, and I kind of want to talk about it a little bit more in the spoilers. But um, I 100% agree with Ron. I am on the record already a couple of times saying that that's generally Percy's ultimate goals. I said he shows a little bit more family compassion last chapter. You disagreed, which I, I thought was interesting. But here you have Ron himself doubting his brother's family loyalties. So uh, it, it's interesting to have him call it out so uh, starkly. Mm-hmm. But anyway, we have more to talk about Sirius, a lot more uh, talk about Sirius in the spoiler section, plus a couple of other things. So we'll end it right here. Hold on with us, and we'll be right back after the break. All right, so we're in the spoiler section now of Chapter 27, Padfoot Returns, and we have a lot to discuss. One thing I wanted to double back on before we get into the series of it all, we talked a little bit about potions 
and why don't you use them as often as you can? And I know uh, in a couple books from now, we get Felix Felicis, which is that luck potion. Mm -hmm. And you're like, wow, why wouldn't you use like good luck all the chances you get? Well, there is a side effect and it could turn not so lucky for you and things can happen. You can get addicted to it and all, all things like that. So there are side effects to some good-natured potions, uh, even if they're brewed perfectly well. So there is that. The other thing I wanted to mention was uh, you brought up that Snape grilling Harry was all talk. I'm not so sure it was all talk, um, because you get the description of his dark eyes boring into Harry's. Yeah. And I think he's trying to use legilimens on Harry to an extent. Okay. So he's asking pointed questions. So that he can get. So that he can get information. And, okay. Fair. Because, um, you know, we've talked about how either Snape or Dumbledore, I guess, are the two that have really used it. But that piercing look. Yeah. Like describing like a piercing look when they ask Harry questions. Um, so they're trying to get information out of him. Fair. Fair. But yeah. So those were those two. And our little breadcrumb with the boom slang. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Skin. When Snape um, is telling Harry about it, Harry, as well as I would say most readers, immediately go to the assumption of Snape holding a grudge from two years ago. But obviously, Snape is accusing Harry of stealing the boomslang skin currently. Correct. Um, which is a fairly large breadcrumb. I mean, it would take a lot to kind of piece together what that breadcrumb turns into. Because um, I don't think if you... Re- like, I mean, you could get the Polyjuice Potion, but I don't think you'd automatically be like, oh, well, well it's this person being... <laughs> right. I mean, there is that. Well, so here's the thing. This was pretty well written in that they Snape gives him a big hint as to yeah. what's the bigger plot going on yeah. here, even if Snape doesn't even know himself. Yeah. That being said, Harry forgets to tell that deal detail to Sirius or Hermione, who would probably put it together. Yeah. Why? Because she follows it immediately up with Karkaroff interrupting Snape, and then they have a whole thing, which Mm -hmm. is just completely... This is an understandable scenario where Harry forgets a detail to say later. Harry doesn't, like, tell them, like, oh, he was accusing me of this and this because he was telling them about, like, the current drama. I mean, if he does and he tells Hermione, Hermione's like, oh, well, someone's brewing polyjuice potion. Oh, well, that could be a problem, and then yeah. whatever. But this gets left to the dust because of Karkaroff's interaction with Snape, which I did want to mention. Karkaroff is very... He's so off-tilt right now that he doesn't even care about a classroom full of kids that are just now getting to the door mm-hmm. before f- pulling up his sleeve and flashing the dark mark. Yes! It blows my mind that he's just like, hello, do you see that? And Snape is probably like, what are you doing? Yeah. Like, I get if you, like, pointed to your arm and you're like, um, have you seen this? Yeah. Because, like, all the students would be like, your robes? Like, right. what? What I find super interesting about the dark marks is that Sirius doesn't know about them. Correct. Even though he was in Azkaban. Yeah. And... You find that odd? I find that odd. I find it odd about not knowing about it for two reasons. One, because, like, he was in Azkaban, and you'd think someone would talk about, like, their arm hurting, and then he'd put two and two together. But two, that also means that the Order of the Phoenix didn't know about these dark marks. Correct. 
Which, that's the part that, like, blows my mind. That, like... Well, also, so this has got to be public knowledge, right? Because, A, the ministry freaked out when the Dark Mark was put above the Quidditch World Cup. Yeah. And then, two, they imprisoned Death Eaters. No one took a look at their left arm. Like, it should be public knowledge, like, for Aurors, for people in the ministry, for people that are, Mm -hmm. like, trying to catch these people. Like, if you think you got one, look at their left arm. It's a dead giveaway. Yeah. But, I mean, it does fade, doesn't it? When he's not at his full power, it fades. But, so... Or is there a way that, like, Voldemort has them, like, hidden from non-Death Eaters? So, like, you only see yeah, it if see, you're a Death Eater? Yeah, see, we've talked about this before, and I, I don't know if it's, like, with who Voldy is, I imagine he wants that on you. Yeah. And it's never going to go away ever, even if he dies, because he wants you branded. Yeah. But at the same time, he, Karkaroff keeps explaining, like, it's getting clear, it's getting clear. Yeah. So I'm thinking maybe it's, like, it's either super faded, or it's, like, an outline yeah. of it. Maybe, and it's just filling in, but one way or the other. Either way, when they mentioned, like, oh, yeah, Karkaroff, like, lifted up his left sleeve or pointed to his left arm, and Sirius is like, that's odd. Yeah. Like, seriously? It you don't know what this so is? It's so weird to me that someone who was in Azkaban for 13 years and who was part of the member of the Order of the Phoenix, which you would assume, at the very least, they would know that. Uh- you could play this one of two ways. This is either a massive hole in her writing, or Sirius is playing this off as he doesn't know, but he does know. But that doesn't make sense, considering he just told them a lot. That just kind of blew my mind, the whole thing. But I can imagine Snape when that happened. And he's it's described as he looked immediately at the class and was like, is anybody actually looking yeah. at us? Because that's a problem. Yes. And, oh man, if I was Snape and he did that, I would... Literally pull him into my office later and be like, what the actual heck uh, are you doing? Yeah. Like, yeah, I would I would not be happy with it. No. Um, but anyway, um, you know, spots that can't come off. Yeah. So do you have anything on, on the big, serious uh, conversation, monologuing? Oh, I have lots of things about Sirius. Bring it. So for anyone who does not already know this, Sirius is one of my favorite characters in the series. And... I... we got to get you and Anna debating Sirius versus James. That'd be I, great. I mean, I don't necessarily know that it would be, like, a huge debate, because, like, I do also, like, like James Potter as a character, but, like, also he's not really as fleshed out as Sirius is. But I love that Sirius, as soon as he is, like, out of Azkaban, reunites with Harry, and, like, Harry knows everything, like, Sirius is like, listen... I'm your godfather, I'm supposed to be your guardian, and, like, even though he, like, can't be because, you know, he's on the run, he still takes that responsibility, like, very seriously. He looks after Harry like his son, not, and I mean, like, what, he's met Harry for a year? He's probably, like, He's probably been in person with Harry for maybe all of 20 minutes. <laughs> like, yeah, but, like, even, like, as a baby, like, yeah, well, how yeah. frequently was he around him? And yet, like, he still treats Harry as a son. And I know that a lot of that is also, like, he looks a lot like his best friend. So he also... and There's a lot of projecting. Like his best friend. Yeah. So there's, like, that projecting aspect, too. But 
Um, I feel like he's such a great character because, like, he treats the trio with the respect of, like, what they've dealt with already and kind of treats them a little bit as, like, comrades, I guess. Like, even Ron says at the end of the chapter to Harry, he must really like you, Harry. Imagine having to live off rats. Yeah. And it's true. Like, Sirius could have stayed in, like, a tropical climate where there's, like, fruit on the trees that he could have grabbed every day. But instead, like, Harry's, like, all this weird stuff is going on. Like, I don't know what to do. And, like, bad things are gonna happen. Mm -hmm. And Sirius rushes to the place where, like, let's be real, he's most likely to get noticed. Yeah. Like, even in Animagus form, like... There's someone who could be like, oh, that stray dog is here again. I haven't seen that stray dog in 20 years. (laughs) Right. Like, I'm not saying that necessarily that connection would immediately be made, but like. It's a risk. It's a risk that he's running. It's a risk. You're coming with Buckbeak. Like. Right. Another convicted con? Sure. Um, (laughs) Sentenced to death. That was more than serious was. And so, like, I don't know. I you just, think they have conversations between themselves? Like, Buckbeak's like, man, I was put to death. What'd you do? I'm sure they have. Uh, but, which then makes me wonder, when Sirius is in Animagus form, like, can he talk to Buckbeak? Like, can he understand Buckbeak? I'm sure he talks to Buckbeak all the time. Well, it's whether, mean, like, Buckbeak... understand Buckbeak, I mean. Yeah. Um, but, for me, like, I, I just always had, like, such... A connection to this character and like Prisoner of Azkaban is my favorite book of the series and to me one of the most heartbreaking parts of the series is Sirius's death in Order of the Phoenix and for me with book seven like the biggest thing that I wanted from that book was an explanation of like what happened because he's hit with a red light not a green one so he wasn't killed he fell through the curtain we don't really know what happened and jk rowling had always said like you know i'm gonna wrap it up i'm gonna explain it it all makes sense in the seventh book and i remember like the two big things for that book like obviously the big thing for everyone in that book is like does harry survive um well i ruined that for myself because i don't know if you remember but when the book was coming out the big thing was like we heard the last word of the book is scar. And I was like, I want to know if that's true. And so, you know, I went to the book release at midnight. And so midnight, I get my book. The first thing I do is I open the book to see if the last like word is scar. And my brain who, you know, is like exhausted, does not want to read just the last word, but the last sentence. So I already knew Uh, that Harry survived. So at this point, like, you know, I have this massive book to finish and I already know how it ends, which is fine. I'm a big spoilers person. I love spoilers. I will oh, I do not. Always I hate read a spoilers. spoilers page. I will always say, yes, go ahead, give me the spoilers because I like seeing how it plays out. I don't care that the end is ruined. I like seeing how it gets there. But, um, so for me, like, the big, you know, reveal was already ruined for me. So the only thing I cared about in this whole book was finding out what happened to one of my favorite characters, and I got nothing. From Harry Potter and the Prolonged Camping Trip, I got nothing. And I'm still salty about it to this day. I I didn't get that vibe from you. (laughs) Justice for Sirius Black. I'm multiple friends. Fair enough. 
There are some things I could poke at you at with Sirius, but I will choose not to do that for today. An another day, another time. Um, but there, like this chapter, and this chapter is not the chapter to do it on because I loved Sirius in this chapter. Well, and I think in this chapter too, like you see how insightful he is and like the connections that he makes that other people haven't made He's yet. a competent adult wizard who knows what he's talking about. Yeah, and like knows things from the past and is able to like make the connections and go, wait a minute, that's something that's weird. And like for someone who was essentially in solitary confinement for 13 years, like the fact that in less than a year of having like relative freedom, like that cognitive function is back. Speaking of like solitary confinement and he, you know, he does obviously he mentions that seeing Barty Crouch Jr. come through into prison and he also mentions a really interesting story about him leave well, well not, not leaving. Yeah. Specifically not he says he died a year later. Yeah. Obviously, we know that that was not the case. Mm -hmm. Him and his mother switched places. But that, just getting that first front story yeah. is really intriguing because now that we know what the actual story is, it was really well orchestrated. Well, and the fact that it's like, Sirius also sees that and is able to like recognize it, notice it, and commit it to memory when he's around the Death Eaters, mm -hmm. um, I think also says a lot about like his character, like, he was so determined, and I mean, like, he was innocent, which helped him, like, maintain his sanity, but, like, the fact that he was so determined to get out and, like, was actually able to, like, long game make it happen. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, this was, um, it was an interesting chapter. There was a lot here. Uh, you know, we talked, uh, did you have anything on Percy? Oh, mainly just how I think that Percy, um, my question is, is like, is Percy influenced by Crouch or is Percy just actually a similar person to Crouch? Because I talked last episode about how I a thousand percent think that Percy, like showing any type of warm regard for Ron was fake. Mm -hmm. um, and I do think that he would a hundred percent throw all this family into Azkaban if it meant that it saved his career. And so I just kind of wonder, is it a, like, there's similar personality types? Or is that Barty Crouch's influence on Percy that's pushing him they, more that way? They did ask the question in this chapter, like, do you think Percy knows all of this about his boss? Um, has he done that research? Has he done that background? Yeah. I don't know. I'm sure he knows. I would assume so, because there's no way that no one brought it up. Or there's no way that... Like, I mean, Percy Arthur would do his homework, said, as you'd say, you know? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I could see Arthur saying, like, you know, just watch out because this happened. And I would assume that especially after, like, the World Cup. Yeah. That Percy would know why it, like... Upset him so much? Yeah. Uh, I'm sure people at the ministry gossip just as much as people oh, yeah. at any other profession. So, uh, it... It's an interesting question. I think it's a little bit of both, honestly. I think it's a little bit of Percy's own personality of climbing that ladder. And a lot of it is some of his own insecurities because, again, Bill and Charlie are so successful that it's like, well, I got to be also successful. I got to yeah. match up and be better. 
And then also to your point, I think it's a little bit of him being under the wing of Barty Crouch mm-hmm. for a little while and seeing how he climbed the ranks and how he and maybe that is it. Maybe he did do his homework and that's how he fell from the ranks was his family. Yeah. So maybe it is part of it. I don't know. You know, obviously Percy's not like this always and forever. Yeah. So he does have some, I guess, core Weasley uh, loyalties there. Yeah. Um, that he does recognize. And to his credit, he does recognize them still at a fairly young age where he can mend those patches. It's yeah. not like he's doing this when he's like 70. Yeah. So this is a patch of like, you know, five to, you know, five-ish years, really, that it kind of is a little rocky. Yeah. Which, honestly, there are a lot of families in the real world that it's a lot longer than five years. Uh. So, I guess kudos to Percy for figuring it out. Uh, I don't know. But anyway, on that note, uh, I think we're good, right? Yeah, and I would just like to add that I am not here for anyone's serious black slander. I will bring the slander at a future episode, don't you worry. However, if you do have serious black slander, you can always let us know at Twitter and Instagram and give us a shout out. Let us know how Julia's wrong on something. Never uh, wrong, Dan. <laughs> well, you've agreed with me a lot lately, so if you're wrong, I'm Maybe apparently I also be wrong. My opinions. Yeah, uh-huh. So <laughs> let us know if we're both wrong about things, or just me, because that's how this goes. Anyway, yeah, hit us up, Twitter, Instagram. Let us know. Give us a review on Spotify, whichever platform you're listening to this on. That'd be great. And leave us one of those voice messages. That would be awesome to hear from you. So uh, with that, we will end this episode. We'll be back with Chapter 28 next week. Thanks for listening, guys. Bye, Freddy. Thank you for listening to Hogwarts, a podcast. If you like what you've heard, please click the subscribe button on your preferred podcasting app and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Hogwarts, a podcast.